Welcome back to the program. I'm Rabina Ahmed Haq, and this is On Point. Well, let's set our eyes now on Russia. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, addressed the Russian people yesterday, accusing the West of once again interfering in its war in Ukraine. He talked about upcoming referendums in occupied regions of Ukraine, which uh, Canada has called a sham, and threatened to use his nuclear arsenal if necessary. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie spoke in response to these threats, calling them irresponsible and unthinkable, and also warns the West cannot be naive to the reality of these threats. But unless the West wishes to involve itself, and risk Russian retaliation, what else can we do short of more sanctions? Can we really do more than what we are already doing? We're now joined by Earl Brown. He's Professor of International Relations and Political Science at U of T and Associate of the Davis Center at Harvard University. Hi, Earl. Welcome to the program. Hello. Um, I wanted to get your reaction of uh, President Vladimir Putin's address yesterday. Um, from what I understand, uh, many Russians uh, booked flights out of the country immediately after he spoke. Uh, I wanted to get your reaction to all of that. Putin tried to preserve the myth of normalcy. So instead of announcing a mass mobilization, he was careful to say that this is only a partial mobilization that would involve only reservists, those who have already served in the military. So this was meant to reassure the population. Let's not forget that he has never admitted that this is a war. He called it a special military operation. Now, it seems the population in Russia, at least significant numbers, are not buying it because they are rushing military-aged men, rushing to leave the country. Contrast that with uh, Ukraine, where uh, uh, at the beginning of the conflict, when people were fleeing by the millions, the men were going back to Ukraine to fight for their country. In Russia, uh, many men want to avoid a war that is illusory, that they do not wish to participate in. So this is the kind of dilemma, the problem that Vladimir Putin is facing, that he got himself into a conflict that was not... Uh, a war of necessity. It was one of choice, one of aggression, and he had badly miscalculated. These uh, referendums that have been called a, a sham, how exactly, you, you alluded to them a little bit, how exactly are they even happening? Um, how can, during a time of war, could they even hold referendums in, in, in the situation uh, the occupied areas in Ukraine find themselves in? It's an important question that you're asking because ballots are not very compatible with uh, with bullets. And uh, this would be a referendum under the gun. It would be in occupation zones where the Russian military is terrorizing the population, where, in fact, much of the population has already left. Millions of people have fled these areas. So the bulk of the population is already gone, and those people will not be able to vote, and those who remain will not be able to choose freely. But the premise that uh, the hardliners in Russia have is that if they can have these uh, fake referenda, uh, President Macron of uh, France called it simulacra referenda, then they could subsequently annex these regions and then claim that they are part of Russia. And if there's any attempt to retake these regions, to liberate these parts of occupied 
Ukraine, then Moscow would say that this is an attack directly on Russia, and Russia has no choice but to defend itself. And you will notice that the way Putin phrased this whole debate uh, about this conflict, the way he projects Russian policy is that Russia is on the defensive. He talked about the collective West trying to destroy Russia. He said that in 1991, they destroyed the Soviet Union, and now they want to destroy Russia. So it's not Russia that committed aggression, which is the fact. It is not Russia that is committing atrocities. It is Russia that is the victim. It is classic Soviet uh, use of uh, a particular type of lexicon uh, where the aggressor becomes the victim, where the perpetrator of crimes is the one who is uh, suffering and therefore uh, is entitled to some kind of compensation. Whatever Russia does, it is never at fault, according to Vladimir Putin. Uh, turning our attention, Arl, to uh, another part of the world, uh, Afghanistan. Uh, so I was so surprised to even read international human humanitarian and aid groups around the world are urging the Canadian government to loosen its policy regarding working with the Taliban um, and to help the many Afghan citizens uh, during a humanitarian crisis. Right now, there's 23 million people facing starvation due to a number of reasons, including drought and breakdown in global supply chains. Um, so in order to uh, work with the Taliban, they'd have to loosen those restrictions in order for them to get aid to these people that need it uh, badly. Uh, what does this signal? Um, can, can Would Canada even be able to do this without the blowback of saying you're now negotiating or working with terrorists? This is a huge dilemma, and it tells us about the problems in using sanctions. There aren't smart sanctions. We may call on policymakers, may say these are smart sanctions, but sanctions are blunt instruments. And very often, they hurt people who are innocent, who have nothing to do with the conflict, and they suffer very deeply. And one can understand the humanitarian instinct of these organizations, the basic decency that the uh, individual have or ought to have to try to help those who are in, in dire need. So one can appreciate the emotion, but we have to look at what is the practicality. There is the sad fact of life that all the dealings that we have had with the Taliban, and you may recall that going back to the Trump administration, Zalmay Khalilzad thought he had a deal with the Taliban, where there would be a peaceful transition uh, to a combined government, and it wouldn't be the Taliban just taking over. This was proven to be utterly illusory. The Taliban have not reformed themselves, and they do not seem to be reformable. They have caused and continue to cause astonishing human suffering, and they have not kept a single promise that they have made. So this is the dilemma, therefore. What makes these organizations believe that if they pass money on or if they try to cooperate with the Taliban, somehow that aid will get through rather than helping the Taliban war machine and helping the Taliban further oppress uh, the population, uh, and that is especially virulent in the case of women who lost virtually all the rights that they had so fought for for so many decades. 
And so uh, I do not see, uh, unless uh, these humanitarian groups can guarantee that the aid will reach those intended to, and uh, how you can do that when the Taliban controls all life, when the Taliban has uh, proven to be utterly mendacious and vicious, when the Taliban therefore cannot be trusted, how do you how do you do that? And so aid has to go uh, beyond feel good measures as much as we want to help. But where perhaps things could be done would be to look at the larger picture. Why mm-hmm. are the Taliban in power? How are they maintaining power? And one of the reasons is Pakistan. Without Pakistan's crucial help, the Taliban would not have survived and the Taliban would not have succeeded. And uh, Pakistan bears a great deal of responsibility. So perhaps what ought to be done is to put pressure on Taliban that they ensure that somehow AIDS gets, uh, AIDS, uh, uh, aid rather gets through uh, to the uh, population in Afghanistan, which is suffering terribly. And, and mm-hmm. uh, if we could find a way of making sure that aid gets through, then we all ought to support it. But um, if that aid winds up in the hands of the Taliban, as I noted, then what could it, will it do? Yeah, those are very good points. And that's an ongoing situation with Pakistan too, with the floods that are happening there. Um, a lot of the conversation has been that if you give, uh, if you donate, will the money actually go to the cause or will it be, uh, you go into the, uh, go to people that don't, don't, uh, don't need to access it. Uh, and in the case of Afghanistan, will it go to the Taliban? And like you said, fuel that war machine. And that's always the fear when you, when you are distributing money in, in places where there are warlords, warlords that are, are, um, are, uh, ruling that land. Thank you so much, uh, Oral Brown for joining us today and, and for bringing us up to date on these two really important stories. Thank you for having me on. That's Oral Brown. He's Professor of International Relations and Political Science at U of T and Associate of the Davis Center at Harvard University. I'm Rabina Ahmed-Hawk, and this is On Point.